good morning. Hope you guys are having a good start to your morning. Um, I hope I never take for granted the presence of God. You know, first service, God was just uh, here, and he was present, and I felt like he was here again. He's present, and uh, you know, there's a lot of buildings this morning that people have walked in the building, and God's nowhere to be seen. Just a dead, dry place. I'm so thankful God is here this morning. I'm just so thankful for his presence. And um, we're going to be looking at uh, Daniel chapter 4 this morning. Um, and I'm, I'm going to share a couple of, of things before we get started. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I love when someone tells a great story. And, and I was telling the first service, I don't care if it's a fishing story. I, I don't care if it's a story about your pet. I just love real life, and I love great stories. I love true stories. And I'm going to share with you a story in just a moment by uh, Nick Ripkin, a great book called The Insanity of God. Uh, it's about the persecuted church. It's about what's happening all over the world, even now. And... Um, but I wanted to start because we've been looking at Daniel for the last few weeks. And if you don't look at Daniel with the understanding that there's a supernatural God at work, then you've missed the whole book. Uh, matter of fact, for the next few weeks, we'll be talking about Daniel. Every chapter, there's something supernatural that God does. It's just amazing. And... Um, so I wanted to start by sharing a story. Again, his, the author's name's Nick. It's not his real name because uh, they had to protect these countries that uh, are being persecuted. So I'm going to tell a, a sort of graphic story, but I, it's a real story. It's a true story because I want you to understand as we get ready to go into Daniel chapter 4 how supernatural God works. And just to see if you're awake, I'm going to give you a theological term before I share the story. There's a, a term theologically, it's called cessationism. And that's the thought, that's the belief that after the Apostle John, when he died, the, the apostolic era ended, and there was no unbelievable, incredible works that were done after that time. Uh, and I, I remember hearing that talk, and I, I thought, man, that's a little strange. I don't, the Bible I'm reading, there's all these supernatural, unbelievable things God's doing, and even I could tell you some stories in my own life, and I'm going, how can you say that? And, and so I, I don't believe that's true, and I'm going to hopefully prove that to you. God is still doing the supernatural today, just like he did when the world began. And so, the story I'm going to read to you today or tell you is in uh, chapter 31 of this book. It's called The Toughest Guy I Ever Met. And Nick was interviewing this guy, and uh, the guy said, I won't interview unless you do this. You can't see my face. You can't even uh, look particular at, at the apartment complex I live in. I don't want anybody to know who I am because it's very dangerous. So Nick says, hey, I'll do whatever you... Uh, you want me to, I just want to get your story. So again, this guy was from a Muslim country. He had never heard the story of Jesus. He was 
doing what he was taught to do. He was a devout Muslim. And he wanted to honor Allah. And one way that he honored Allah was he wanted to make sure that if there was anyone who didn't believe their religion, he'd kill them. They're called infidels. And so he began to describe in graphic detail time after time where he would sneak behind. After he found out a guy was an infidel, he would secretly sneak behind them and slit their throat. And then he'd let the blood pour out on his hands. And he'd, he'd give an offering to Allah. And Nick was interviewing this guy for six hours, and he said it was just these unbelievable, horrible stories. And, and before Nick could even think what he said, he goes, man, how many people have you killed? And the guy said, well, really, after 100, I quit counting. But over time, this man began to have a dream. He said it was a nightmare, a horrible dream. He said, I dreaded to go to sleep. He said, the dream started where I had sprinkles of blood on my hands. He said, as the dream progressed over and over, when he would go to sleep, he said it got worse. He said, more blood would show up on my hands. He said, then it got so bad that I saw blood dripping down my arms. He said, I just didn't want to go to sleep. He said, but one night the dream changed. He said, I was dreaming the same thing, blood all over my hands. He said, then I saw a guy in white. He said, the guy had a scar on his head, scars on his feet, scars in his hands. He said he had a scar on his side. And he said, just like I'm talking to you today, he said, this guy looked me right in the eye and he said, I'm Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I can take the blood off your hands. He said, when I woke up the next morning, he was going, I don't even know who Jesus is. For the next 12 months, this man began to try to secretly find out who Jesus was. And miraculously... He found the Bible in his language. He began to read that Bible, and as he continued to read the Bible, it became clear to him who Jesus was, and he accepted him as Lord and Savior. He said, I looked down, and there was no longer blood on my hands. Guys, we serve a supernatural God. And you know he's doing that all over the world? I, I could... I could give you a hundred stories in this book of something similar that I just shared with you. Do you know that King Nebuchadnezzar, God was doing the same thing in his day? And, and I wanna, we're going to read a, a lot of verses, but I'm going to try to give you a, a, a quick uh, thought about King Nebuchadnezzar. And I, this is my whole, my whole thing today that I want you to get. There's hope from heaven for you. There's hope from heaven for you. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a wicked man, a pagan king. And yet, if we looked at verse 1, you know what verse 1 says in Daniel chapter 4? The king, this wicked king's writing, this chapter is for everyone, it's for every people, every culture, 
Everybody in the world, you need to take notice of this chapter. It's important. So when we start looking at King Nebuchadnezzar's life as we get ready to look at Daniel 4, the dream, I want you to notice an interweaving of his story and how God is showing mercy and grace, just like the Muslim man who found God. So in Daniel chapter 2, you remember the story? King Nebuchadnezzar was given a, a wild dream. And in that wild dream, he saw a rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands. It was God. And God said, hey, king, I'm going to show you who I am. And he even showed up again because he didn't even tell the wise men or anyone his dream. He said, interpret it. And what happened? Daniel, supernaturally, God gave him the dream and the vision, and he interpreted it. But the king didn't listen. You know, the dream was talking about he was the statue, the head of gold, and then there were other kingdoms. What did he do in Daniel chapter 3? He goes, man, nobody tells me what to do. I'm, I'm basically a god. I'm the most powerful man in the world. He built a statue, solid gold, and he said, everybody's going to worship me. And you remember the story. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach go, hey, king, <laughs> we don't worship but the true God. And when the king looked in the fiery furnace that day, he saw the Shekinah glory of God, which is representation of Jesus Christ himself. He goes, didn't we throw three in the fire? But I see four. And again, God in his grace and mercy is going, there's hope from heaven for you. And King Nebuchadnezzar did a little pleasantries and he said, hey, man, you guys serve the real God, but he didn't mean it. He went right back to his own ways and doing what he always did. So then we get to chapter 4. And again, we won't read these verses, but earlier in the chapter, in verses 4 and 5, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar was at ease in his palace. He didn't have a care in the world. And all of a sudden, verse 5 said he had a dream. It frightened him, terrified him, just like the story I just shared about uh, the Muslim. He couldn't get relief. And I'm, I'm just going to share this because I'm not going to read this. But <clears throat> in verse 17, the Bible tells why he was given the dream. And you know what verse 17 says? It said, this dream was given, King, so you would know that I put who I want in power and I take out who I want to be taken out of power. I'm the most high. So I want to share something with you. I hope it will give you encouragement. We got an election coming up very quickly. Don't worry about the election. God is going to put in power who he chooses to put in power. Okay? Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Look north. That's what Daniel did. And, and guys, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to worry about it. God knows what he's doing. I'm going to do my due diligence. But God's in control of that. He's sovereign. Right? So we're going to look at verses 18 through uh, 37, and uh, says this. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had 
Now, Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because none of the wise men of my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me. But you can, because you have the spirit of the holy gods. Now, I'm going to stop. That's an amazing testimony, and, and, and I like to laugh. But the king just said, hey, the wise men couldn't help me. Every time we see the wise men and King Nebuchadnezzar has a problem, you know the only one that can help him? Daniel. Why are they calling them wise men? I mean, really. And, and you remember even in chapter 2, the wise men said, King, if you'd tell us the dream, we could interpret it for you. But then in Daniel chapter 4, can they interpret it for him? No. And again, I'm going to tell you, you know why they couldn't? Because people of the world that doesn't know God cannot see prophecy, see prophetic things. Only those who know God can see that. And so let's look, let's continue to read. Then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was stunned for a moment and his thoughts alarmed him. The king said, Belshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My Lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. Daniel was showing mercy to a king that had not shown him mercy and had honestly been cruel to him. And yet Daniel is saying, Man, king, I don't even want to share this with you. It's a terrible dream. Daniel's modeling what Jesus told us to do love your enemy and it's apparent that he really forgave King Nebuchadnezzar because of what he says hey man king I don't I don't want to share this with you and you know the Bible says that when when Daniel was stunned for a moment most commentators when they read that they said it, he was silent for an hour and I'm gonna be honest I believe he was silent because he wanted to be merciful to King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he was stunned. He didn't want to give bad news. He wasn't happy that his enemy was suffering. Well, that's something I need to work on. I, I struggle sometimes with loving my enemy. But it goes on. Here's the dream. The tree you saw which grew large and strong, whose top reached the sky and was visible to all the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the wild animals lived, and in its branches the birds of the air lived. That tree is you, the king, for you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the end of the earth. And we'll pick up verse 23 in a moment. I want you to understand the greatness of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had two dreams in his life. This was his ambition for life. He wanted to rule the entire known world. So God had given him incredible gifts. He, had, he was a great leader. He had administrative ability. He was a warrior. He wanted to conquer the, the known world. Check. He did it. Second thing he wanted to do, he wanted to build the greatest kingdom the world had ever seen. And up until that time, check I'm just going to tell you a little bit about his kingdom what was his kingdom like well he built 
brick stone walls as high as a football field around his city. He also did an engineering marvel in the desert and put water around the city. Another protection. Another thing he did is he built the wall down 35 feet deep so people, if an enemy tried to attack, they couldn't dig under the wall. He made the walls massively wide so that armies could go from one side to the other. It was an engineering marvel, the walls of the city. But just to be extra safe and protected, he built a second wall. So when the Bible says in the earlier chapter, uh, verses 4 and 5, that he was at ease, he wasn't worried about nothing until God showed up in a dream. But the last thing I'll tell you about his greatness, it is said that it is estimated that he built, of all his building projects, he used 15 million bricks. 15 million bricks. If you go to some of the museums that uh, have ancient Babylon displayed in it, you know what you'll find? You'll find a brick because King Nebuchadnezzar, every brick he had made had his name in it and his father's name. He was a great king. Had no equal. And God's interweaving in this wicked king's life going, King, there's hope for you. There's hope from heaven. You're too arrogant to see that, but I'm going to keep interweaving. And when we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar is about 50 years old. Hopefully, as you get older, you get wiser. I'm, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I, I hope I'm wiser than when I was 20 or 30 or even 40. The dream picks up in verse 23. Let's look at it. The king saw an observer, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, now again, a holy one, an angel of God, just like the rock, again, God's mercy. He says, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground with a band of iron and bronze around it. In the tender grass of the field, let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. Most people believe that was either three and a half years or seven years, depending on. Uh, in Babylonian culture, they did two seasons, periods of time were summer and winter. So depending on what commentary you look at, it was either three and a half years or seven years. Uh, I'm not going to get caught up in that. Three and a half years or seven years is a long time to be a wild animal. Um, but this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the sentence of the Most High that has been charged against you, my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of, of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men, and he gives it to anyone he wants. That's the exact same verse that's shared in verse 17. God said, hey, king, I put whoever I want in power. But my whole objective of what I'm going to do this for 
is I want to show you there's hope from heaven for you. I don't know what kind of week you've had. I don't know what kind of month you've had. For some of you, I do. And it's, it's a joy to be able to pray and, and, uh, for you in those difficult times. But the world we live in is a difficult place. And King Nebuchadnezzar is about to find out a difficult thing. Verse 26. As for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, now listen to this advice. Therefore, may my advice, verse 27, seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins. This is the most powerful man in the world. And Daniel's boldly proclaiming the message we always need to proclaim to anyone. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices and by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. He's going, King, just humble yourself. If you'll humble yourself, I know my God is merciful to you. Just be humble. You know, there's so many times where God is slowly trying to help us. We're, we're going our own way and we're doing really insane things, walking away from God and God's interweaving going, man, I, I'm giving you a, I'm giving you hope. I'm giving you mercy, man. Don't stomp it. Don't, don't realize what I'm being, I'm being patient with you. But a lot of times we're hard-headed and we just keep going our own way. And so sure enough, King Nebuchadnezzar, let's see what happens. Verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 29, at the end of the 12 months. So God gave him 12 more months to be humble. As I was walking on the roof of his palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, is this not the Babylon the great that I have built? by my vast power to be a royal residence and to display my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. And verse 32 is just like verse 25 we read. Your kingdom is going to be taken away from seven years. And you're going to be a wild animal. So we pick up verse 33. At that moment, the sentence against Nebuchadnezzar was executed and he was driv driven away from the people. So the dream came true. He was driven away from the people and um, the Bible says he ate grass like cattle and his hair grew like eagle's feathers in verse 33 and his nails like bird claws. Now, now imagine this. This guy that had conquered the world, had the greatest military, now he's outside his kingdom for everyone to see. He'd lost his mind. And you might go, man, that, that's crazy. That's a crazy story. Do you know that those type things are still happening where people lose their mind? I was telling in the earlier service, and there's a lot of different animals that people believe they are. But I was reading a story about a guy that thought he was a bear. I mean, he really thinks he's a bear. 
And uh, Wayne, after the service, came up to me. He goes, man, when you were talking about that, he said, I have a bear that lives in my house. Uh, one of his family members is named Bear. I, I had a good joke out of that, but this was real, man. This guy lost his mind. He was out eating grass. Verse 34, but at the end of those days, he was so arrogant, it took him three and a half to seven years, depending again on who you study commentary-wise before he did this. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Application this week, guys. Anytime you're walking away from God, you've lost your sanity. You lost your mind. When you're just thinking, I can do my own thing and do my own way, you've lost your mind. So when this king, it says when he looked up, and you know the, the amazing thing, I shared this earlier in the early service, King David, when he was on top of his palace and he started getting a little bit prideful, he looked down at a woman that he wanted and he's like, she's mine, Bathsheba. And he suffered a great fall. This king, the same thing. He's, he's elevating himself up, saying, look what I've done. You've done nothing. God allows you to have anything that's good. Don't ever think that it's because of what you've done. It's the ability God's gave you and it's partly you have to do things, but God's the one who gives good gifts. Don't, don't ever be arrogant and think it's you. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he looked up to heaven and his sanity returned. Now listen to what he says. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And he continues, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he's talking about God. And, he, and God does what he wants with the army of heaven, supernatural again, and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can hold back his hand. Sounds like a humility experience to me. Or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me and my, mag and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors, my nobles sought me out and I, my kingdom was reestablished. And then the last verses of the chapter, and even more greatness came to me, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't use the word king. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, glorify the king of heaven. He's looking up. He's, he's had humility because of all his works. And all his ways are just. This is a man that went through a difficult time as a wild animal. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. God is a just God. He's a merciful God. He's a kind God. Now I'm going to give you my opinion. And again, it's just my opinion. We won't know we go to heaven I believe King Nebuchadnezzar as an older man that's not going to live much longer after this chapter 
I believe he repented, and I believe he turned to God. I really do. I may be wrong, but one thing I do know, what matters today is where you stand in your relationship with God. Maybe you know God, and you're walking outside of his will, and maybe you're doing your own thing. Look up. There's hope from heaven for you. Be humble. Be repentant. Turn from your sin. But maybe there's someone watching online or maybe someone in this building that you're going, man, I've never submitted to a holy God and, and let him be Lord, let him be boss. There's hope from heaven for you. You know, I, I shared a story at the beginning of service. And it was about a man who had blood on his hands. And when he found Jesus, Jesus took the blood away. If that's you this morning, and again, whether you are in a relationship with God and you're just doing your own thing, or, or you never have had a relationship with God, God can take the blood off your hands. He's still the same God that does the same thing. He's merciful. He's kind. But I want to share, too, as I close, maybe it's not even you that this message is for. Maybe it's for some people that you've got weary and you've begun to lose hope. Maybe you've lost hope in praying and going, God, you're supernatural. You've got to do an amazing thing. Maybe it's some people I, I know uh, one person in particular that struggles with alcoholism in this body. There's hope for you. There's hope from heaven. I don't know what your struggle is. Maybe it's somebody you need to go and share this with. I want to encourage you. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. Just humble yourself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, I'm grateful for the story of grace in Daniel chapter 4 for King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm thankful that you continue to try to show him what real love looks like and what mercy looks like. God, I pray that, Lord, if there's anybody that needs to make some kind of decision, some kind of uh, moment of humility today, that they would do that. God, I pray most of all that you'd be given glory. Um, I pray that in this community, Lord, that as we, the body of Christ, lift you up, that, Lord, we could help people have clean hands and clean lives, not because of us, God, because we're, we're nothing, but because of your blood and what you did, and it's the greatest story, the greatest news we could ever share. We pray this in the name of, above all names, our Lord Jesus. Amen.